John chapter 17 is it's a very famous passage and it's called the high priestly prayer. This is moments before Jesus is going to go and die on the cross. And this is before he prays in the Garden of Gethsemane. And when he's praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, he's obviously, he's praying for himself because he's so stressed out. He's so concerned and full of fear that he's going to die on the cross. But before this prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, he has the high priestly prayer. And in this prayer, he prays not for himself, but he prays for those that the Father has given him. But who are these people that the Father has given to Jesus? They are those who believe. Can we say believe? They are God's special people, God's special possession. They are what the Bible calls and what we call today the church. Can we say church? Now, um, we are a church. We're a significantly diminished one uh, due to uh, global things that we'll talk about in a little bit. But we are what we call a local church. A local church is us. We're a local congregation and gathering. Most of you live north of Atlanta, right? We're in the general Suwannee area. But there's also a universal church that is comprised of every single believer. And that universal church is called the body of Christ. That means that whether you go to Promise Church, you go to JCKC, KCPC, uh, SKBC, <laughs> Korean churches, we all sound the same, don't we? I guess we're a little unique in promise. But, or you go to a church in Korea, or you go to a church in Afghanistan, you go to a church in, I don't know, Montana. If you are a believer, we are all a part of the body of Christ. Because it is not our race or our culture. It is not our language and our standing. It's not our economic status, how much money we have or how little money we have that bonds us together. What bonds us together is that we are in Christ together. This is why Christians share a unique fellowship and Christians share a unique relationship and unity. There is something, there is something about being a believer that connects you with every other single believer out there in the world. And in this portion of the prayer, we see that Jesus is praying for the church. But why? Why is Jesus praying for the church? Well, after Jesus is done with his high priestly prayer, the next major event after the, his prayer in the garden is Jesus is about to be arrested. He is about to be arrested. And after he is arrested, he'll be put on trial unfairly. And he will be crucified. And he will die. Now, Jesus has been doing ministry for three years. And for these three years, he's been building up his disciples. He says, come and follow me. And they literally did that together. He is their leader. And now he knows that as their leader, he's going to go away. He's going to go away when everybody hates him. That's the reason why he's going to be crucified, because he's going to be hated by the world. And so if the leader's gone, what's going to happen to the rest of the people? They are also going to be persecuted. They, people will come after them. It's like any organization. If the leader falls, 
everything tends to fall into chaos. Like imagine right now if President Trump like just disappeared and some of you are like, oh my gosh, is that possible? Like, do we pray for that? But like seriously though, if the president of a nation just disappeared, it would leave the nation in a state of absolute chaos. And so Jesus knows that when he goes, his people are going to be persecuted. So he's praying on their behalf. But the second reason is he's praying for the people that God has given him because of his tremendous love for his special possession. That there is a special love that Jesus has for the church. In fact, when we look at the Bible, we see that the church is referred to as the bride of Christ. Can we say bride? Bride. Some of you will be brides one day. Not you, gentlemen. You'll be the doofus standing waiting for the bride. But some of you will be bride. And, and but why does Jesus call the church the, his bride? Why? Well, there's something very special about being the bride of Christ. There's something very unique. You see, uh, there was a wedding yesterday. Uh, Sam and Sharon, members of Reacts, they, uh, yeah, they got hitched. They got married. And it was beautiful and it was wonderful. But if you notice anything about a wedding, the, the groom and his um, groomsmen, they're all dressed like they're going to church, right? And they're wearing a suit, or they're wearing like a tucked-in shirt and a tie. They look like you could take them like out of that setting of a wedding and put them in a church and no one would be like, oh my gosh, are you getting married today? Or they'd be like, oh wow, you dress nice for church. Good job. Right, that's it. And even the bridesmaids, I've noticed because I've been to a fair amount of weddings, all bridesmaid dresses are the same. They're all the same. There might be a slight shift in color, but they're all the same. They're not fancy and adorned and like, it's not like, if you see a bridesmaid that's too glammed up, like that would be weird. That'd be weird. And when the groom walks down the aisle, everyone sits. Some people clap. Some people that really love the groom. When the groomsmen walk, be like, oh, okay. Oh, he's a groomsman. When the bridesmaids walk, they're like, oh, wow. It's that classic bridesmaid's dress. Well done. The flower girl walks down. You get some oohs and ahs. The ring boy walks down. Everyone's like, I hope he makes it to the front. I've seen many ring boys get lost halfway through and start walking down the aisles. But when the bride comes, when the bride comes, everybody stands. Everybody stands and their eyes are fixed upon the bride. At a wedding, it is the bride. That is the center of honor, the center of adoration, the center of attention and affection. The wedding, gentlemen, remember this. The wedding is all about the bride. Nothing to do with you. You're replaceable at that point because everyone else is dressed just like you. But no one is dressed like her. She is the most beautiful, the most majestic, the most adorned. And Jesus looks at believers, the church. If you are a believer sitting here today, you are a part of the church. And our Lord calls you his bride, his most beloved, most precious, most beautifully adorned. He says, I am all about you and you alone. My love is for you, and it is fixated upon 
you. Because wouldn't it be weird at a wedding if the groom, like the bride is walking down and you see the groom checking out the bridesmaids? Wouldn't that be weird? You'd be like, dude, this marriage isn't going to work out. What does the groom do? The groom fixates his eyes on the bride who is walking down the aisle. This is the tremendous and special love that Christ has for the church. What does that mean for us sitting here today? It means, brothers and sisters, that you are loved. You are loved in a way that is almost unfathomable. It's magnificence and it's tremendous. It's a wellspring that does not run dry. But the thing that's different about Christ and his bride versus modern day weddings is modern day weddings, there's like a dating process and like, you, you know, it's, you, you have to check compatibility and, and there's these standards to live up to. But what we see in the word is that the only reason why you and I get to be the bride of Christ is because of him. It's not because we're all that beautiful. It's not because we're all that great, but it's him that makes us beautiful and it's him that makes us great. For those of you who are in a place where you might be questioning some of your worth and your value, your place in this world, I want you to know that the word of God tells you without a doubt that when Christ looks at you, he says, you are my bride. You are my beloved and you are my special possession. And so this is why Jesus is praying for the church because he is madly, madly in love with the church. He says, but it's more than that, right? Because what we see then is that if we are loved by Christ, then as a church, that must be our singular identity. Can we say identity? Can you say identity? Identity. <laughs> why is that our singular identity? Look at what he says in verse 8. He says, for I have given them the words that you gave me. He's saying, you and me, God, God the Father, we've had the bestest relationship of all time. We make every other father-son movie that's ever been made look like nothing. Everything that you know, I know. We have the perfect relationship. And I came down here and I gave them that. What you have told me, what was exclusive, what was inaccessible to people, I have given them. And that means for us then that our identity, not just as individual believers, but as a church, as a church, needs to be built on the truth that God has given us. And we see that this truth is made known through his word, through scripture, through the Bible. But that also means that the way that we act needs to line up with that identity. The way that we behave needs to line up with the truth that is our identity. We cannot act apart from it. We cannot act apart from it. When I was in sixth grade, I had a history teacher named Mr. Dabriel. Hey, that's a great name. <laughs> Dabriel. And even though that was in sixth grade, I still remember his name because he was my favorite teacher of all time. And maybe you guys have someone like, you've had someone or you have someone like that, that for some reason, like they're just, They've been your favorite teacher forever. Mr. Gabriel was mine. He made U.S. history interesting. 
That's how good he was. He made history interesting. And I loved history because of him. And I was, I mean, I don't want to be, you know, braggadocious, but I'm pretty sure I was his favorite student. I'm pretty sure. Because after class, like, and I'm not, and that was a big honor for me because I've never been anyone's favorite student. <laughs> I'm like that kid where you're like, Steven, you could do better. You have potential. But for him, like, we had this very special relationship. And he would always call on me during class, and we'd always talk afterwards. This is when one of the presidential elections were happening, and I was freaking out that George W. Bush might be elected, so I'd, like, bother him about it afterwards. Did I just, like, date myself? Nicole's like, I learned about Bush in history. Like, you lived it? <laughs> I did. I lived that season. I was there. I was there. Um, but I never bothered him after class about it. And he'd always joke, like, hey, Stephen, you know, one day you're going to graduate uh, middle school. You're going to graduate high school. You're going to get married. And you're going to be uh, mowing your lawn. And you're going to just see me riding my bike. And I'll wave. I'll wave because I'll be retired and super happy. And I just, I just love Mr. Daryl so much. Even after I, um, when I got into high school, I'd write him letters. We wrote letters back then because none of this. Yeah. Stop making fun of me. <laughs> but I'd write him letters and just be like, hey, I'm doing okay. I miss you, Mr. Gabriel. And unfortunately, he passed away a while back. He was a lot older. Um, but there was just one day. I went into the bathroom, and there was two boys and like the bathroom, if you've ever been to the boys' bathroom, it's always wet. Like, it's just always wet. I've never been into the boys' bathroom where it hasn't been like moisture everywhere. And there's just like this moment of like, what is this moisture? Like, where did it come from, you know? But anyways, it was even more wet than usual. I was like, oh. And they kind of looked at me and I looked at them. And we just had this moment of like, I think I know what you guys are doing. What they were doing was they were throwing up, uh, making uh, paper towel balls, soaking them, and sticking them on the ceiling. That's why water was dripping from the ceiling. And I saw them, and I said, can I join you? And so we demolished that bathroom. We did things to it that, like, it, it's like you couldn't even, like, repair it. It couldn't get back to its former glory. We annihilated this bathroom. And we came out of the bathroom laughing because we thought, like, this was the greatest thing ever. I was like, I didn't know you could have this much fun at school. This is amazing. Um, I'm running out. And then later, um, later that day, uh, Mr. Gabriel calls me into his classroom. He's like, Stephen, I, I, uh, I heard this rumor about you. Um, but I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. And it was like, Someone said that they saw you and a couple boys run out of the bathroom laughing. And that teacher walked in and saw that the bathroom had been utterly destroyed. And I told that teacher, there's no way that was Stephen. There's no way that was Stephen. And so he's like, is it true? And I start bawling. I start bawling and say, yes, Mr. Gabriel, it's true. I did do it. What Mr. Dabrell expected was that because I was his cherished student, that I would act accordingly as someone that he really cared about. And in that moment, I didn't. I didn't. And it broke his heart. And the realization of that broke my heart as well. Likewise, but even on a greater scale, Christ's tremendous love for his church, the truth of who we are in him, that and that alone needs to define and characterize our behavior. I think there's a very practical question that we have to ask ourselves. 
do my words and my actions, my thoughts and my behavior line up with someone who is beloved by the Lord of all of creation? Do I line up with that? Or am I playing with another identity? And there are many other identities that we can play with, brothers and sisters. We can play with the identities that the world might want to throw upon us. We can play with our identities of being slaves to sin, of pride, of guilt, and of lust, of anger, and of frustration, and of bitterness. And we can operate out of that identity. But Jesus looks at his church and says, not you. Not you. My love for you must be from the source from which everything else comes to life. And he says, I am leaving. I am going to heaven. I am ascending to be with the Father at his right hand. And here on earth, you, my church, my beloved, are my representatives. You are the representatives of my love. You are the representatives of my truth. I have given it to you as the Father has given it to me. You are mine. And I want you to reflect me. I think one of our problems as the modern church is that we only take that into consideration when we are in our local buildings. Concern for the cross, concern for Christ, concern for reflecting who he is seems to apply only to this building and our time here. But this is not how Jesus operated. Even in Jesus' ministry, do you think he was just in one building for three years? He was a well-traveled man. A well-traveled man, and so are his disciples. What he was saying then was, I don't want you to experience a schedule change because of my love. I want you to experience a life change and a life transformation. Not just what you do on Sunday mornings, waking up a little bit earlier than all of your friends. Not just giving up your Friday nights and not hanging out with the rest of your friends. I want you to see a life that is transformed because that is the type of love that I offer you. That is the truth that I offer you. You know, when you've been living a lie, when you get hit with the truth, it's undeniable. There's nothing you can do to avoid it. There's nothing you can do. If, uh, if you come over to my house, there is a picture of me when I was in middle school. I should have brought it, but it's a, still a little embarrassing too. I had this gold chain. Yep. <laughs> I had like, back then we didn't use wax, we used gel. And so I had this shiny, spiky hair. <laughs> and I had my FUBU hoodie. It's, it's a brand back in the day. <laughs> I see. It's like a... Is there a modern-day equivalent of FUBU? That's no, not like Nike. It's Nike for hood people. That's what that is. That's what FUBU is. It's actually, it was made, uh, started by an, uh, an African-American man. Um, and FUBU literally stands for For Us, By Us, because he wanted to close for the African-American community. And during that time... Um, it wasn't very available. Why was I wearing it? I don't know. It was just the thing. 
I was like, four is by us. Me too. Let's do this. I'm a minority. Um, anyways. Um, <laughs> and that was so cool. Like my look back then, that was it. Rocking the gold chain, rocking, rocking the spiky hair. The only thing I was missing was an earring, right? That's, my mom wouldn't let me get one. And the FUBU hoodie, that was it. But, but every time I look at that picture, you think I'm like, wow, what a cool kid you were, Stephen. I look at that, I'm like, oh, so much shame. <laughs> People saw me like that. Why? Because the reality is that, 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 that wasn't it. That wasn't the look I should be rocking for the rest of my life. When the truth hits you, it's undeniable. It's absolutely undeniable. It needs to transform literally everything around you. I think we need to be reminded of what we're operating out of. If you're operating out of a lie, if you're operating out of pride, out of guilt, out of shame, look at what Christ's love offers you rather than that. It is something beautiful that makes you beautiful, makes you his beauty and his prized possession. If we see in the last part of verse 11, actually we'll just read verse 11 as a whole. He says, and I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. What our Lord is saying is, my truth that I have received from the Father, my love that I give for you, it's so transforming. It's so big. It's so dynamic that it will shatter every other cause and reason for division. That they are going to be one as the, you and I are one. And do you know what that unity is like, the Father and the Son? It's a unity that is incomparable. It's unshakable. It is perfect in its union. And Jesus says, you and I need to be one like that. But every single believer needs to be one like that. Why? Because when the church, when believers are grounded in the truth, when believers operate out of the love of God, all of a sudden we look at each other not as enemies. We look at each other not for our differences, but this common cause that the Lord has established us for. It's the cause for love, to love one another as we have been loved. That this would appear, listen, this is Jesus' prayer for us. He doesn't pray for wealth. He doesn't pray for prosperity. He doesn't pray that our lives would be easy and comfortable. He prays that in our unity with one another, that we would display the love of Christ, that this is what matters the most. But I think it's very easy for us to forget that. It's very easy for us to forget that this is the only thing that truly matters in this life. You're not going to take your grades with you. When you get to my age, they don't even ask you your SAT score anymore. And you kind of forget what it is. Most of the time, people only ask you what college you went to. These things that we think matter so much right now, they don't. I'm not saying they don't matter, but they don't matter as much as we think that they matter. We think that these things are going to define us. These things are going to be with us for the rest of our lives. 
I remember I took an ACT class once. I was in the Midwest. I take ACT. The teacher's like, this is going to impact your rest, the rest of your life. Now I'm 31. I'm like, you liar. You just wanted my money. <laughs> it's not impacting the rest of my life. You think when I met my wife, she's like, what's your ACT score? If it's not above a 30, we can't date. <laughs> no. No. You think when Hezzy looks at me, he's like, dad, what was your GPA? No. It doesn't say anything like that. Do you think when I get to heaven, God's be like, so what did you graduate college with? If it's under 3.0, you're not making it through these gates, let me tell you that. No, 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 no. The only question is, did we love him? And did we love those that he commanded us to love? And as a church, as a local church, Promise Youth Group, this is what we need to be about. This and this alone. This is the only thing that matters. Stop getting caught up in the noise. Stop getting caught up in the little things that happen. This is the only thing that matters. Why? Because this is what Jesus gave his life for. He didn't give up his life so we can live in three or four bedroom houses. He didn't give up his life so we could have the most convenient of times. He didn't give up his life so that the world can revolve around our desires. He gave up his life so that we would know what it means to be loved, so that we would know what it means to live. And in light of that, that needs to be our direction and our pursuit. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, your word tells us that if we confess in your son that we are yours, and that is no merit of our own, but that's all about you. That's just who you are. Our Heavenly Father who desires to love us. And so I ask, Lord, that your love would transform the lives of these young men and women in this room, Lord. That that's what their hearts and minds would be fixated upon constantly. That the noise that the world throws at them would fade away in the light of your unfading love and of your unfading glory. And that's what be, that would be our mission and our pursuit and our heart's desire to run after you, Lord. So I thank you. And in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.